Hello and welcome back to The Road to Angus. This week, Heritage Learning and Engagement Lead Caroline Taylor tells us about collaborating with schools and developing meaningful engagement with a teenage audience. So if that's something that would interest you, keep listening. Hello and welcome back to our podcast, The Road to Angus. My name is Adeline and I am the cultural team lead for Angus Alive. And I'm Caroline Taylor. I'm the Heritage Learning and Engagement Lead uh, for Angus Alive Museums, Galleries and Archives. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about your job, Caroline? Um, yeah, okay. So I always describe my job as getting to do all the fun bits, basically. Um, so I'm create and carry out an engagement program to get people to engage and be inspired with our collections, essentially. Um, so I do things like um, school workshops, holiday activities, um, different events and obviously special projects like the After the Apocalypse project. Yeah, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But um, before we get into that, um, can you talk a little bit about what would you consider meaningful engagement? Um, So yeah, I guess it's more of like a thoughtful approach to our collections rather than just I don't know um running through an art gallery looking at the pictures and running out again if that makes sense no exactly and no that makes perfect sense I understand that um I mean if anyone doesn't understand that they can always leave a comment down below and we can elaborate but I get what you're saying okay Um, good um so the project that we're actually talking about is um, it's a unique project in that it was aimed towards co-creation. So you weren't, it wasn't something that you thought about and you implemented. It was the general public came in and told us what to do. Um, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, it was definitely... Um, although I had the original idea, it was meant to be kind of, yeah, well, engaging, I guess. Um, it was meant to be um, like, yeah, the pupils who were working on the project came in and they were the ones who were influencing what objects were going to be part of this. Um, they were writing the labels. They were choosing the artwork for it. Um, So it was very much kind of, it was very much their exhibition, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just um, facilitating it, essentially. Um, And, you know, running the sessions, kind of encouraging them along when it was getting awkward and things like that. So, yeah, I definitely, yeah, it wasn't like my show or anything. It was definitely um, run by the pupils, basically. Yeah. So can you give us an overview of it? So what was after the apocalypse? Because it's closed now. It closed at the end of March. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are plans for it in the future and we'll get into that later. So can you give us an overview of what the project was and what the aims of the project were? Um, Yeah. Okay. So basically after the apocalypse was a project where 
Uh, I worked with a group of pupils from Montrose Academy. Um, we ended up with 13 pupils, all aged between 12 to 17. Um, and what we were doing was looking at our museum collections and working out what objects from our collection we would want to use after the apocalypse. Um, so after society's broken down and um, basically these are the objects they would use to help them rebuild society. Um, so yeah. I, I want to point out at this point, this was decided long before the situation that's happening now happened. Yes. <laughs> so yes. It's, it's... Um, it wasn't influenced by the actual current events. It wasn't influenced by the actual apocalypse that's happening now. <laughs> it, was, um, <laughs> it was back in February 2019, last year, almost a whole year ago, when an apocalypse happening, it felt like, you know, science fiction still, um, not <laughs> like how it is now, basically. Um, yeah. Not that we're saying now is an apocalypse. But it's humorous timing. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, a little bit awkward, but it's okay. But yeah, so basically um, myself and a bunch of people from Montrose Academy decided what from our collections would be useful after the apocalypse to rebuild society. Um, what made you think, because it was your original idea, what made you think of something like after the apocalypse um so i really love um science fiction and zombie films and things like that um but what i'd noticed in kind of you know reading books reading short stories about um a sort of apocalypse zombie outbreak is that there is very little of it focuses on the aftermath. Um, so what happens, like the sort of rebuilding society, the difficult bit. Um, but that does happen in uh, the book World War Z by Max Brooks. Um, he kind of goes into it and um, for anyone that's not read it, it's meant to be like an oral um, history of the zombie outbreak, a fictional zombie outbreak, of course. Um, and it's meant to be like he's interviewing people that um, survived through the zombie pandemic. And yeah, it kind of goes into the rebuilding of society, how people were kind of going back to their historic roots almost. Um, so, you know, like using farm implements you've never used before um, and things like that. Um, there's also a really good short story actually called Aftermath by Joy Kennedy O'Neill. Um, where she's kind of thinking about it. Um, but in this fictional outbreak, basically the zombies were cured again. So it's all like how people are reconciling that. So yeah, I'm a little bit, not obsessed by, but I just find zombies interesting basically. And I love museums. So, you know, I love a way to combine the two. Um, and it was actually um, when I was going around um, our Angus Live collections at the yard um, uh, with Linda, who um, was at the time my job share, and John, who's our collections lead. And I noticed like this old disused mangle in the corner. It's massive. It's like a full-on heavy iron green mangle thing. And I was thinking it's so interesting that now we're so far removed like I know like 
theoretically how a mangle works, but I've never had to use that in my lifetime yet. In the past, that was an everyday object. That was something people used. And I like the idea that if something catastrophic, like an apocalypse, if something like that happened, we would kind of go back to our old roots and looking at how um, our ancestors did things and start using and start to use these sorts of things again. So that was kind of like the weird inspiration behind it. Um, also, when I worked at the Lighthouse Museum in Fraserburgh, um, there was one day I'd been giving a tour to a group of teenagers who basically like didn't want to be there at all. And it was the oh, it was such a dry, boring lighthouse tour. So I was like, you know what? They're not taking in what I'm saying. They're like literally on their phones. Um, so I kind of mixed up <laughs> a little bit. I was like, so I've always thought that this lighthouse would be great to defend during a zombie apocalypse. What do you guys think? And just this switch that was flipped. They were suddenly like paying attention. They were actually learning things about the lighthouse because, um, you know, that impacted how they would survive during an outbreak. And yeah, um, I kind of saw how if you, I don't know, bring zombies into things, young people find museums more interesting, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, I think King about things like that, um, I guess it kind of encourages people to see our collections in a new light. So instead of being like, oh, there's this dusty old mangle in a museum, move on. Um, you've kind of got, oh, well, what would happen <laughs> if I had to use it again? And imagining themselves having to use it, it just puts like a different spin onto our object and it does create that kind of special connection to an object that you might not otherwise have um so yeah that was kind of the inspiration it was just a collection of things basically um that kind of came I, I together want, I want to say that it's making it relevant for the next generation but I don't know how relevant zombies are but I completely get what you're saying at the same time. It's it's keying into their interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, relevant, not maybe in terms that they will actually have to use these things, hopefully. Um, but relevant in that, yeah, they are creating that connection. They are seeing how it would be a useful item. It's not just a museum object anymore. It's an actual thing that someone used that has a history to it, I guess. Um, what is a mangle? A mangle. Oh, it's like uh, it's big rollers and you put wet clothes through it and it dries it off. And yeah, Victorian wash day sort of stuff. Um, that's what you had to do. It's an early equivalent of a tumble clean. dryer, basically. <laughs> um, all right. And did you when you presented the kids, because the way it worked was that you selected items that you thought would be useful and you presented them to the children yeah, or the young so, adults. Um, yeah, I, I know I keep calling them children as well. I'm having to correct myself. Um, yeah, so <laughs> basically um, the first session I had with them, we were talking about what the apocalypse might look like. Um, so that's why it is very much zombies because that's what they kind of hung on to as a sort of their image of the apocalypse. Um yeah, so um, they basically, because they're imagining 
the aftermath of a zombie apocalypse specifically, they were very much focused in weapons, um, partly because being with a zombie outbreak, even if it's over and you're rebuilding societies, there is a chance that the zombies could come back and also weapons in terms of hunting for food for survival um, and things like that. Um, so yeah, they were very into the weapons, which was actually very good because we have some really cool weapons in our collection. Um, so basically, um, I would I kind of had that as my theme. So I chose a bunch of weapons from our collection, um, got them at the museum for them to look at. And I will give a shout out to John, our collections lead, because he kind of took us and ran with it. He was always coming to Montrose Museum where the project took place with like armful of weapons like, oh, I found this in the stores and I thought that uh, your group might find that interesting. So, yeah, it was, um, I don't know, good fun, basically. And um, yeah, I... Our listeners will remember John from the our episode, um, The Archaeology of Museums. So if you haven't listened to that, you can meet John in that in, uh, in that podcast. But anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, um, please do listen to that because he's an absolutely fascinating man and has an amazing knowledge of our collections. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can attest to that. He 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 is a fascinating individual. Yes, definitely. He has so many stories. Um, but yeah, so yeah, fully on board for the whole Apocalypse Project too, which is great. Um, so basically what would happen at a session would be, um, for the object selection stage, would be I'd bring out a weapon um, or... Sometimes I threw them a few curveballs and did non-weapon items, but uh, mainly weapons. And I would put it down. Did you use the mangle? No, um, because the mangle's absolutely massive. It was going to be too much of a headache moving it from the stores. And I was also pretty confident that although I was like, oh, mangle, interesting, love this. I didn't think they'd be as into the kind of washing health and hygiene. I did try a bit of that, but they really weren't interested. And because it is like, their project and their items I felt I couldn't force it so yeah I was a bit gutted about that I'm hoping next time I use it I get to get the mangle out somehow um but no um as what often happens um my favorite object didn't get used but anyway I'll try not to get too upset about it um yeah so basically I'd bring the object out um not tell them what it was um, and some of our weapons look weird. Like we've got really cool things like a shark tooth sword or um, a Fijian war club. We've got, you know, some things that um, don't look like what your typical idea of a weapon is. Um, basically ask them, what do you think it is? Got them to have a look. Um, in some cases, depending on the ob object, in some cases, depending on the object, they could pick it up um, and actually look at it more closely. But um, yeah, we got our magnifying glasses out, studied it, um, worked out what it was. And then I'd tell them a little bit about it once they'd kind of guessed or sometimes they couldn't guess um, what it was. And then we'd go to the discussion phase where we'd think about the advantages that it would have for rebuilding society after the apocalypse. Then we'd go to the disadvantages it would have um, and then um, basically we took a vote uh, with all that in mind 
um, on whether we did or didn't want to use it after the apocalypse, which was effectively did or didn't want it to be part of the exhibition. Um, so it was a very democratic process. <laughs> um, and once the object selection stage was over, we did an artwork selection. Uh, our listeners possibly won't have been to the uh, art gallery where we have our temporary exhibitions in Montrose Museum, but there's a lot of wall space and there needed to be artwork. So this wasn't um, one of the things I set to, out to do um, to include artwork at the beginning of the project, but I had to because otherwise the exhibition would have looked a bit weird. And it was the thing I was least confident I about was introducing artwork. I thought it. it worked. Yeah, but I thought it worked really well. I thought the artwork complemented. Yeah, well, the, that's the thing. Um, I had to think up a way to get the artwork in. So I was kind of like, well, we are a bit limited as, um, I don't know, collecting things that reminded people of the apocalypse wasn't at the forefront of uh, <laughs> our curators um, collecting ideas um, over the years. But um, yeah, kind of picked out a selection of paintings um, and got the children to say which ones um, they thought reminded them of the apocalypse. And actually it was the thing I was least confident about, but they took it and they ran with it. They were very into the artwork, um, discussing the pros and cons, why they thought it was like the apocalypse, why it wasn't. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm glad that none of the artists were in the room because some of them might have been a little bit offended by what the people's had to say. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, very honest, very um, direct criticism. And yeah, that was the element that worked incredibly well that I really didn't expect to. And then um, they had the label writing part. So a um, little bit of research on what each object was and they kind of all selected an object that they wrote about and wrote a label for, um, which included, yeah, a bit of background on the object and why they had chosen it. Um, so we did some labels as a group and then um, went off and did individual labels as well. And um, it was there, you're talking a lot about the object selection. Was there a limited, had you a number capped on how many objects you were going to include? No. Did, did they have to whittle it down or could they just go everything? Um, no, the only limit was basically the amount of time we had to look at stuff. Um, and obviously the logistical, can I actually get it to Montrose Museum for them to look at? Is there enough space to store it at the museum? Um, there wasn't really a cap. Um, we ended up looking at about three objects per session, um, but obviously a lot of these objects were rejected from the final um, cut of the exhibition. Although we did actually include some of them when I thought it was interesting why they'd rejected it. Um, so there was a few items that they had said wouldn't be useful and kind of gave the reasons why. But on the whole, it was just the objects they selected for being useful after the apocalypse um, that was in there. So, can I ask you about any of the objects that were rejected and that we did put up and the reasons for the rejection? Is there one in particular that surprised you? Yes, um, definitely um, the coconut hair armour um which we have it's um literally like armor made from um 
coconut hair and a mixture of coconut hair sorry it's armor made from a mixture of coconut fiber and human hair and um basically they rejected it because um they thought it would be too heavy if you're walking around and also like they thought it'd be very itchy to wear as well and they'd be more cumbersome and I thought that was interesting especially because it did have a bit of like neck protection I thought they might have gone for it for being useful after the apocalypse but no they valued the freedom of movement more but actually yeah it would be quite itchy to wear it's something I hadn't really thought about but they definitely picked up on I like the armor and I will um I will remind our audience that images of some of the objects that we are speaking about will be linked in our social media so once you're finished listening go check out our social media and you can see what we're talking about um and so the project ended in um well it opened when did it open I can't remember sorry the project opened or the exhibition opened the exhibition, I apologize. The exhibition opened early this year, wasn't it? Um, it was, oh God, it was the, it opened on the 6th of December and finished on the 14th of March earlier this year. So end of last year, beginning of this year, basically. And how was, because it was open to the public, what was the public's reaction to it? Um, It was, on the whole positive um obviously there were a few people that didn't really get it but luckily because we had the information about each object even if they weren't on board with the overall concept um they still liked looking at each items and finding out more about them so that was useful um but it definitely got a lot of conversations going um Basically, pretty much any time I was in the gallery, I'd hear a family going through, oh, well, I can see why they picked that because that would be useful for this. And, oh, no, I wouldn't have gone for that gun because they've not considered the lack of ammunition. It was really funny, like, um, hearing our visitors going through themselves what they would and wouldn't pick for after the apocalypse. So, um, yeah, that was kind of entertaining as well Um, and an extra level of engagement, I guess. Yeah, it was surprising how passionate people got Mm -hmm. about um, the objects that they picked. And I heard more than one debate among people about, no, you're completely wrong. No, they were completely right to include this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I kind of like doing that too, kind of creating exhibitions that get people talking um, in hopefully a non-controversial way. yeah, it's more- I, personally, it was very, it was very controversial for me. Actually, since you mentioned the artwork, to this day, I am steadfast. Heels dug into the ground. One of the artworks in particular was chosen because there is a bicycle yes. in the painting. I can't remember which painting it was, but uh, there's a bicycle. Arbuthe- and no, the- High Street, but yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah. And the um, young adults chose it because they decided bicycle would be the best means of transportation during the apocalypse or after the apocalypse. And they're absolutely right. They are absolutely wrong. It is clearly horse. No, clearly no, no, it's no, horse. no, no. We went into this. Not a horse. You have to feed a horse. A horse gets tired after a while. 
you're just if it's a bicycle if you're fully trained up you cover more ground you're quicker horses make noise horses are so noisy with their big horseshoes clip-clopping about we actually had quite a horse controversy to be honest as part of the group um so I'd be doing them an injustice to say we did not discuss the option of horses but no bicycles are quiet bicycles you can maintain on your own quite easily um and it's a lot where are you going to get the oil where are you going to get the oil to grease the chain on your bicycle um tesco's Tes- it's. Yeah. I, I don't think Tesco survived the apocalypse. Um, in our group chat, um, it did. Um, no, um, yeah, <laughs> but you still will have like things like oil lying around. You can get things to grease the chain of a bike. It's much more difficult to like, um, you know, get a blacksmith together and put horseshoes on a horse than it is to oil the chain. You don't need horseshoes. Just go across the field. And why do they wear horseshoes if you don't horses. need them? Horseshoes are self-replicating. Oh, horses, sorry, not horseshoes. Horses are self-replicating. So you can just have as many horses as you want. Bicycles require maintenance and metal and repairs. Require, require maintenance, to be fair. Not as much as a bicycle. Oh, I'd say more. I think I'd much rather oil a bicycle chain than birth a horse. Nobody's asking you to how give birth to a horse. The horse does that. <laughs> but how are they, how are they <laughs> self-replicating? Like, I wouldn't know what to do if a horse suddenly goes into labour. I am useless. If my chain goes off my bike... The horse knows what to do. The horse needs someone to help. That's what vets do. Yeah, but their horses existed prior to vets. Yeah, but they also like died. Okay, this is actually this is an argument that's been going on since December. So if you have a comment, please comment below horse or bicycle, really or bicycle. is there another form of transportation we haven't considered? Yeah. I mean, if um, you read Max Brooks's zombie survival guide book, um, he advocates for bicycles as well. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, is that freely is that book freely available after the apocalypse? Yeah. Where? Yeah, well, lots of people own it. Libraries, all good libraries should stock it. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say that in case our libraries don't stock it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'll cut that <laughs> out. Or I'll find out. I'll find out before I post this podcast. <laughs> okay, so this project, I want to point out as well, this project is not uh it's not a one-off. You are moving it forward as well. Can you talk a bit about your plans for the future with it? Um yeah, I mean obviously plans for the future are a little bit difficult at the moment but um yeah the apocalypse is coming to Kirimura next um so it is meant to be end of this year that we're having another after the apocalypse Kirimura edition exhibition um alongside pupils from Webster's high school um obviously I just had my first session with them looking at the apocalypse and then a week later, we all went into lockdown. So, um, yeah, <laughs> hopefully it still happens. But 
Um, it was actually interesting that um, although it was obviously before the lockdown, because there had been all this talk of coronavirus and washing your hands properly and everything like that, this group of pupils definitely had more of a focus on the health and hygiene aspect of it. Um, so it's already going to be different to um, the apocalypse exhibition that's already happened. But that's why it's um, a really interesting project because it is kind of pupil-led, is that the pupils will automatically have different ideas of what they think is useful. The debates and discussions will be different. So it will be a different type of exhibition. Okay. All right. So that's another exciting one. And any plans after Kerry Muir? So that's Kerry Muir Gateway to the Glen, yes. our museum at Kerry Muir Gateway to the Glen, where it will be on display. Yes. Planning for the end of the year, but depending on the current situation, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but it will happen. It will happen. I would like the exhibition to tour around our museum in Angus, to be honest. Like, so this year, last year, Apocalypse Montrose, this year, Apocalypse Carrier, and then the year after, go to like Brookin or Arbroath or Forfer and just like keep going around on a loop. I don't know if I'll be allowed to do that, but that's what I want. It would be brilliant. I had the idea as well to have an after the apocalypse all stars. So once we're finished, all of the museums have uh, have an exhibition of just the most used objects. Uh, interesting. So the ones or... that the peoples have chosen the most, basically, more than once. Yeah. Or the one. Yeah. Or have a mini exhibition as to like you were saying that um, defense was really important with the Montrose group and the Kiramur group look more towards hygiene, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, I mean, I will say the Kiramur group are into their weapons as well. And um, that is a common theme. <laughs> um, but I mean, when you've got a shark tooth sword to show them, what else can you expect? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I personally, it was one of the sabers I really liked. Oh, there was yeah. a sword there that I really, really liked. I can't remember which one it was. But was it, was it the cavalry sword? Or was it the scimitar? Possibly. Oh, no, it was yeah, the, scimitar. the scimitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really cool really scabbard. The... Yeah. Yeah, no, that was cool. Uh, the, the... So, yeah. So, unfortunately, it has now ended, but we are taking the lessons that we learned from this one and bringing it into the Kerry Muir one. So, yeah. when it's up and running, we shall let you know and you can see. Mm -hmm. Yes, please do come along. And um, if you do have um, any opinions as well on what objects you would uh, take, pick up and take with you after the apocalypse, then feel free to share as well. I find it interesting. I like hearing yeah. what people have kind of planned as their little emergency life backup plans. Well, you didn't like my idea about Well, no, horses. I mean, not if they're stupid ones, obviously. <laughs> oh, how dare you? I mean, at least I know I'll beat you in the apocalypse. <laughs> so, you know, that's something. <laughs> I have a game plan. I have a solid game plan for after the apocalypse. Yeah. You don't have a. I'm not telling you it, but I have a solid game plan. You don't have. A I solid don't know game that plan. I live in Dundee. No, I'm a bit too. I'm a bit too close to the hospital as well. Like that's where. Yeah, actually, I probably shouldn't say that either. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, but um, it is also like that is one of the good things about the project is we tend to get on with each other in real life but we are very vehement in what we believe will be useful after the apocalypse so it is really good for getting a bit of debate going 
No, I mean, I'm perfectly happy with your ridiculous ideas because it means there will be more food for me after the uh. apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but um, talking of some of the things that surprised me as well for the um, use of the objects, this was one that was selected, um, but we had an Aboriginal... Australian throwing stick is one of the objects that did get selected for the exhibition and um, one of the people looked at it and she just went you know what I why I would find that useful after the apocalypse and I was like no and she went two reasons massive toothpick or hair curling tong I was like amazing I love that you're yeah Genius. taking care of your appearance even after the apocalypse like absolutely fantastic I would never have thought of that it was great well that is that is a common theme theme through history like we discussed it before that the Picts tattooed their bodies because appearance yeah. was important and in Egypt appearance was very important so I'm assuming it's still yeah, well, that's the thing, important. And that's also if you're rebuilding society actually people kind of caring about their appearance again that shows that you're on the kind of road as awful and potentially shallow as that seems that's what humans are like that's human nature coming back to normal again absolutely absolutely so, yeah no I, I love that one that was great no but she she's right um we might be using it soon. Another kid also, when um, one of the shields that was on display, um, he had the idea that if you flipped it round, you could use it as a chip and dip tray as well. Um, I like that as well. I like the idea that um, snacks will still be available after the apocalypse. That was a good one too. Well, chips are just flour and water, easy to make, and, and dips is just tomato. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you could. And, yeah, a shield, you've got – you can use it for defence, but when you're resting, when you're having your nighttime snacks or whatever, yeah, chip and dip tray, double-use object, excellent. Yeah. So it, it puts a new spin on the on the um, Spartans' expression, come back with your shield or on it. Yeah. Come back with your shield and we'll eat off yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for popping in and talking to us today, Caroline. I've had a lot of fun. Good, yeah, I'm glad. I think that's, yeah, one of the key things is it is kind of like – Making our collections fun, chatting about this is fun. So, yeah, I'm glad you've had a good time. Yeah, and if you have any comments on um, anything that we've talked about before, especially the horse bicycle debate, or if you have any ideas for podcasts, or if you'd like to hear from Caroline again, please leave us a comment down below. We'd love to hear from you. And I will speak to you again soon. Awesome, thank you. And if you enjoyed that episode, don't forget to subscribe. We put out new episodes every Wednesday for the duration of the lockdown. And to see some of the other exciting activities going on, please check out our social media and or our website. Links, as always, are in the description down below. And until next time, be healthy, be active and be creative.